Blog Talk Radio. This is the Body of Christ Church. And welcome to Hendrickson is the key. Is the key. Relatively close to each other around this time of the year. 
And also, you know, you're going to have uh, a feast of dedication, which will be coming up in a few, in a, about, you know, a few months or so. But we want to deal with some of the feast days of the Lord and how those feast days actually pertain to Christ. So I want to start off in the book of Isaiah, chapter 28, verses 9 and 10, because I kind of have a lot of, you know, bases that I want to cover this evening. And, you know, a lot of people try to read this Bible like it's a novel. And some things like, you know, some of the letters of Paul, you can read them as a continual thought, but without reading and taking into account the entire Bible, then it will seem like he would have his own doctrine where, in fact, Paul was dealing with some of the things out of the Old Testament as it pertains to the understanding of Christ. So I want to start in the book of Isaiah, chapter 28, and I'm going to start in verse 9. Let me make sure I got the uh, right scripture here. Isaiah 28 and 9, it says, Whom shall he teach knowledge, and whom shall he make to understand doctrine? So it's asking a question about whom, meaning the Lord, who is he going to teach knowledge of this other Bible? Who is he going to give the knowledge and understanding of these scriptures? Who is he going to make to understand the words that's coming out of this book? It says, them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. That's showing you that just like a baby starts off with the base and simple things, that in order to get the base understanding of the Bible, first of all, we have to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we not only have to do that, but we also have to repent of the sins that we're committing. You know, and that goes into that. I'm going to get into some of that a little bit later on in the show. But it says that what? It says, for precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. So it's showing you that this Bible contains scriptures where you may read something about the prophecy of Jesus Christ about how he was going to come and be an intercessor for the children of Israel. And you see that come to fruition when you see through the Gospels. And then how the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles and they went out and preached the repentance of Jesus Christ throughout the known world. So it's saying that what? That precept must be upon precept and line must be upon line. Here a little and there a little. Because everything that Christ fulfilled was written of and foretold in the Old Testament. Because a lot of people get it twisted. The New Testament wasn't even written when the Lord was walking the face of the earth. None of those things were written. What do you think he was teaching out of? He was teaching out of the old and giving us the understanding as it pertains to our conscience, the way that we're supposed to be keeping the commandments of the Most High. So it says that what? For with stammering lips in another tongue will he speak to this people. So we're going to go throughout the Bible, and we're going to see how these precepts line up and get the full understanding of the scriptures. So what I really want to do is, since I said we want to deal with some of the feast days of the Lord, I'm going to go to the book of Numbers. Actually, I'm sorry, I'm going to the book of Leviticus, the 23rd chapter. And we're going to touch on just some of those feast days. And then we're going to jump into the uh, New Testament. Because part of this class actually stemmed from a conversation I had with a coworker about some of the holidays and everything. So, And they pulled a scripture in the book of Colossians about being judged in meat and drink. So we're going to touch on that this evening also. But this is uh, Leviticus chapter 23, and starting in verse 1. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them concerning the feast of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocation, even these are my feasts. 
So as we read on, it's going to give you a description of what these feast days are, these high holy days in a sense. So it starts out in verse 3. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest and holy convocation. You shall do no work therein. It is a Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. So the Lord starts out his primary feast day is the weekly Sabbath. It starts from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. And we know that from reading Genesis, the first chapter. When you go back, it tells you what? And the evening and the morning were the first day. And the evening and the morning were the second day. And the evening and the morning were the third day. So we see that consistent pattern throughout the creation. And then on the fourth day was the sun, the moon, and the stars created. And it says that what? I'm just going to get that just real briefly here. I'm going to the book of Genesis. And this is the first chapter. And I'm going to start in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 13. It says, And the evening and the morning were the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. Because it's by these things in the heavens that we're able to determine what season it is, what day of the week it is, and when these feasts actually come in and what season. So it says what? And let them be for lights in the firmament of heaven to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also, and God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light unto the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and the evening and the morning were the fourth day. So this is how we know why the Lord started off with the Sabbath, because at the end of the creation, he, went, he rested, and he ordained for the children of Israel to do so as well. So going back to the book of Leviticus, back in chapter 23, and I'm going to read verse 4, where it says that what? These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy, holy convocations which you shall proclaim in their seasons. Because as you read in the previous verses above, there were certain ordinances that pertain to the Sabbath. And as I get into a little bit later in the show, you're going to also see there were certain sacrifices that were to be offered on the seventh-day Sabbath. But as you read now in Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, verses five, starting at verse 5, it goes into the Passover and the things and the ordinances pertaining to the Passover. Okay. In verse 23, it goes into the memorial of the blowing of trumpets. Verse 27, it goes into the Day of Atonement. And I'll just read a couple of verses here so it goes into showing you what the seasons are or the times because here it is Passover. This is Leviticus 23 and 5. And the 14th day of the first month at even is the Lord's Passover. On the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread unto the Lord. Seven days must ye eat unleavened bread. So when you have the 14th day at dark going into the 15th day, so it's showing you that the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread start at the very same time. And it goes into the things pertaining to ordinances pertaining to the Passover. So I'm going to jump down to verse 27. It says, actually, let me start at verse 23, dealing with the memorial of blowing the trumpets. 
It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, shall ye have a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing of trumpets and holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work therein, but ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And this is actually the memorial of blowing the trumpet that actually happens to fall on the new moon because the moon was actually a sign in the heavens that was used to tell when the new month began. And you can read about that in the book of Psalms. There are many other scriptures that go into it, which is why people, the children of Israel, we observe the new moon as a Sabbath. It wasn't just this particular Sabbath. Um, verse 27, also on the 10th day of this month, a day of atonement. So it's going into thing about us keeping the day of atonement. It goes into, as you read down further, it goes into the Feast of Booze or the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Ingathering. The Lord had ordained all of these days. But now, I want to jump to the book of Colossians. Because, you know, part of the whole thing about keeping the feast days of the Lord through the, the honor and the remembrance of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you know, a lot of our Christian brothers and sisters have been taught that all of these things were done away with. We don't have to observe those things anymore. Okay, Jesus nailed the law to the cross. But a lot of them actually go as far as, you know what? Yeah, Christmas is Jesus' birthday. You know, we should keep Easter. Not even looking at just a simple, the simple basic math of how do you get three days and three nights from so-called Good Friday to Easter Sunday. It's impossible, okay? Where in the Bible do you see anything about our Lord and Savior being born on December 25th, not understanding the history of the so-called modern-day Christian church and where a lot of those doctrines and that dogma comes from. See, you won't find that in the Scriptures, not as it's being kept today. You'll see mention of Christmas in Jeremiah, the 10th chapter, about where those customs come from. You'll see all throughout the Scriptures where the Lord told us not to follow the ways of the heathen, meaning the other nations. But not to get shot, right? Let's go to the book of Colossians. And I'm going to go to Colossians, the second chapter. And I'm going to start at verse 8. I'm just going to go straight to the point here. Because we're still dealing with some of the, the feast days of the Heavenly Father and how we're supposed to observe those through Jesus Christ and what they mean to us now. Okay, not that they're done away with. Let me get my place here. Here we go. So now we're in the book of Colossians chapter 2, and I'm going to start at verse 8, because this is speaking exactly to the point that we're dealing with. It says, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. So this is a letter that Paul was writing to the church in Colossia, and he said, Listen, Keep an eye out because what? People that are going to try to lead you away from the doctrine of Christ and deal with philosophy and deal with vain deceit and traditions of men and even the rudiments of the world. Because when you look at a lot of the customs that we so-called associate as Christian holidays, you don't see those customs in the scriptures. Those are traditions of men, and a lot of those things were rooted in the rudiments of the world. Go back and look up some of the origins of some of these so-called Christian holidays 
before they got indoctrinated or so-called blended in, okay, going into the worship of the sun, going into the worship of other gods and things of that nature. Do some research. But he's warning one of the churches here to, listen, beware of people trying to lead you away from the doctrine of Christ. Because even at that time, also, you had those that were in Israel who were observing the Levitical priesthood and still trying to deal with a lot of the sacrifices and the things that pertained to the ordinances of the temple, standing that one greater than the temple had already come and sealed and fulfilled that first covenant and ushered in and ordained the second with his own blood in his life. And that's who has the preeminence. But let's read on, because he's going to deal with that in verse 9. He says that what? For in him, talking about Jesus Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. So how was he able to say that? Because what? The Lord spoke and said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. So it's showing you throughout the New Testament that our Lord and Savior has the preeminence. It was prophesied throughout the entire Old Testament that the ensign that the Lord was going to set up to gather the dispersed of the children of Israel was going to have the preeminence. But let's read on. Verse 11, it says, In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in the putting off of the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So just to deal, I'm going to touch on that just briefly, because that the whole thing dealing with circumcision, that's, that's a, a topic in and of itself. But you had the fleshly circumcision, that covenant was first made with Abraham, and then it was passed down to Isaac, and then from Isaac it was passed down to Jacob. And from Jacob it went to his 12 sons, which they basically became the progenitors of the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. But you also read in the scriptures, even in the Old Testament, about the circumcision made without hands. And I'm going to touch on that real quick. I'm going to go to the book of Deuteronomy and read chapter 10 and verse 16, just to touch on that very briefly. Because this is just one of many places where you read where the Lord is telling us to circumcise our hearts. Because this whole thing, the whole thing about repentance and the gospel, the true gospel, as it is written, escapes a lot of people. Because Christ was dealing with not only keeping the commandments, but he was also showing us where those commandments were starting to be broken. Where does the sin start? Does it start in the action or does it start in our mind or where? It starts in our mind. That's why he was able to say, he have heard it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, whoso looketh on a woman to lust after her have committed adultery already in his heart. See, the Lord was about us cleansing our mind so that we stop the sin before it manifests in our flesh. The Lord said that what? <laughs> He'd rather have our obedience and the abundance of sacrifices for those sins. So let me read the scripture real quick. I'm in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 10, and that's what I was going to read, verse 16, where it says, actually, I'm going to start at verse 12. It says, And now, Israel, what did the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. 
So he's asking the question. Listen, what does the Lord require of thee other than to observe all these things for your good? Because when you read in Deuteronomy the twenty eighth chapter, you see what good did not come to us when we broke his commandments. Being cast out of the land and being sold for slaves and bondmen and bondwomen. He said, Listen, the Lord gave us these things for us to keep for our own good, so that this would be our wisdom and understanding in the sight of the nations. But as you can see, it didn't happen. So I'm gonna read on. In verse fourteen, it says, Behold, the heavens and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's thy God, the earth also with all therein all that therein is. Only the Lord had a delight in the in thy fathers to love them, and he chose their seed after them, even you above all people as it is this day. So that's just going right back to what I was speaking about earlier, dealing with the covenant of circumcision that was given to Abraham and passed down to the children of Israel. But here's the point in sixteen. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no more stiff-necked. So, see, this is the circumcision here that that the Lord has always been dealing with. True, indeed, you had that covenant of the fleshly circumcision that all males were supposed to be circumcised, you know, to be able to come into the, uh, the temple and be able to partake of the things of the Lord and the, the feast days and the sacrifices. But the Lord has also dealt with that spiritual circumcision, meaning that what? The same way that we were to cast off that dead foreskin, we're supposed to cast away that stony heart, that rebelliousness and that wickedness from our mind so that we could become a new person and keep the Lord's commandments out of sincerity and not be forced to keep them because, oh, we're going to receive the judgment. So that's the doctrine of repentance that our Lord and Savior is dealing with. So, Let's go back to the book of Colossians. And I'm back in Colossians 2. And I left off here at verse 11, and I'm going to read it again. It says, In whom also ye are circumcised, the circumcision made without hands, and the putting off of the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So it's talking about the same thing. It's talking about repentance, which goes into, you know, another doctrine, the whole thing of the come as ye are. Yeah, you can come as you are, because none of us did anything to, to be worthy of the blessing or the understanding of the scriptures. None of us did anything for the Lord himself to lay down his life so that we would have a chance to repent. But that was the whole thing. When he says to lay off that body of sins by the flesh, that means that once we come into this knowledge and this understanding, we're supposed to begin to put those things off. We're supposed to cast those things away from us. And proof of that is in St. John the 8th chapter When that woman was caught in adultery In the very act And they brought her to the Lord for judgment To see what he would say And people always misquote that scripture He who was that without sin Cast the first stone They want to pull that in a heartbeat Anytime you try to bring out correction Not understanding that there's a difference Between correction and judgment They were bringing that woman to be judged The Lord Jesus Christ Is dealing with the mercy and the correction so that we don't have to receive the judgment when he comes back. See, that's the part that people forget. They believe that, oh, there ain't going to be no judgment. Oh, there's going to be a judgment. But right now is the time for mercy. So he says that what? I'm going to read verse 12. It says, Buried with them in baptism, wherein ye also are risen with them through the faith of the operation of God who hath risen him from the dead. 
and you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. So it's going to show you the same way that he allowed that woman to be forgiven for committing adultery, which was a sin back then. According to the law, she was supposed to be stoned. And you read that story, it tells you. It says the law says that she should be stoned, but what say ye? But the Lord gave her mercy, but he also told her, go and sin no more. And this is how we what? This is how we allow ourselves to have and continue that new life. So he said in 13 again, you being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with me, and the Lord has made us alive. He's given us a chance to come back and serve the Heavenly Father through him. By what? Having forgiven you all trespasses. So it's dealing with the trespasses still. I'm going to read verse 14. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. See, people are quick to say, Jesus nailed the law to the cross. It ain't talking about he nailed the law to the cross so that we don't have to keep it anymore. The previous verse was talking about our trespasses were forgiven us, and those were the handwritings of the ordinances that was against us. Because according to the law, we were supposed to be put to death. Every last one of us for the sins that we were committing. Those were the things that were contrary to us, and those were the things that was nailed to the cross when the Lord laid his life down. But see, we want to cherry pick the scripture and run with it and create a whole doctrine out of it. But we can't do that. But I'm going to go into this point a little bit further before I move on. I want to go to the book of Isaiah, chapter 43. And I'm going to go to Isaiah 43 because we read it in the beginning, Isaiah 28, 9, about precept being upon precept and line upon line. Let's see what he's talking about. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 22. And let me read down here. Isaiah 43 and 22. It says, But thou hast not called upon me, O Jacob, but thou hast been weary of me, O Israel. Because you go back and you read the history of our people. We were always rebelling against the Lord. We were always going into following the gods of the other nations and leaving off from the other commandments of the Lord. That's what he means by we haven't uh, called upon him and we have been wary of him. Just like people do now, we'll get caught up and get jammed up in some mess and a, a, a horrible, horrible thing was supposed to happen to us, but somehow we escaped. And we might do right for a little bit, but then we get tired of so-called doing right. And then we go back into our own ways. It's the same thing. Knowing we're doing wrong. But let's read on. 23. Thou hast not brought me the small cattle of the burnt offerings, neither hast thou honored me with thy sacrifices. I have not caused thee to serve with an offering, nor weary thee with incense. So the Most High wasn't forcing us to keep his commandments. He said, listen, these are my commandments. These are the things that you should observe. And these are the ordinances that go along with it. We always had a choice. But we chose wrong. And we continue to choose wrong. And the only way that we can choose right is by accepting Jesus Christ and following his example. But let's read on. 24. He says that thou hast brought me no sweet cane with neither hast thou filled me with the fat of thy sacrifices. But thou hast made me to serve with thy sins. 
thou hast wearied me with thine iniquity. Because what? The Lord always gave us a window to get our act together. And then it just got to a point where it was like, you know what? Y'all got to go into captivity. You know what? Your fields are going to be bare. You know what? You're going to be a curse. You're going to have diseases and things running amongst you. You're going to have disorder in your households. Your fathers are not going to stay and raise your children. Your mothers are going to be evil. Her eyes are going to be evil towards her children and those that come from between her days. That's, that's all in Deuteronomy 28. The Lord said he got tired of it. But now, what, through Jesus Christ, verse 25, he says, I, even I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sin. So when we read on, I'm going to read down to the end. It says, put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. And the Lord made us able to allow us to be justified through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. That's how those transgressions were blotted out. Didn't have nothing to do with us because what? He already swore oath that we would be his people forever. So he made a way for us to come back through Christ. Because he said, what, 27, thy first father has sinned and thy teachers have transgressed against me. Therefore, I have profaned the princes of the sanctuary and have given Jacob to the curse and Israel to reproaches. The Lord is just because he reminds us why we are suffering. It didn't just happen out of the blue. He didn't just have a titty fit and say, you know what, I'm just going to jack these people up. He told us from the beginning, if you keep my commandments, these are the blessings you're going to receive. If you break my commandments, these are the curses that are going to come upon you and pursue you to the ends of the earth. So he tells us, listen, this is why we're suffering. So going back to the book of Colossians, and I'm in chapter 2 again. And I'm going to start back at verse 13, because I stopped at 14 dealing with the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. It was talking about our transgression of the commandments, not the laws being done away with themselves. So it says that what? Colossians 2.13. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Let's read verse 15. I'm going to read on. It says, And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Because you saw how Jesus Christ was doing the miracles. You read about it. And he says that what? All of those principalities and evil spirits, they couldn't do anything. They were powerless against them. And we have that same power in and of ourselves when we accept Christ. Because he's the one, it's his spirit that allows us to have that defense against those spirits and the wickedness that so easily besets our flesh. We can only have our only defense against the lust of the flesh. And I may uh, may have some time to get into that a little bit later. And um, in, uh, I think it's uh, Galatians, the fifth chapter, you know, going to, as a matter of fact, let me get that real quick. I think it'll be Ephesians. Ephesians, now it's the, uh, Galatians, the fifth chapter. Let's see some of those things of what the, the lust of the flesh is talking about. This is the book of Galatians, chapter 5, and I'm going to start at verse 16. And it says, This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. 
for the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Okay, listen. If we walk in that spirit of Christ, if that's a thing that we meditate on and we follow that example, then we're going to have that defense to not fulfill the lust of our flesh. Why? Because the spirit of the Lord is going to be there to correct us and to keep us walking the straight and narrow path and not go and be taken and drawn away by the lust of our flesh. Because you see it every, you see on any, any given talk show about a man cheating on his woman or, or whatever, a woman cheating on her man. Well, how did that happen? Well, I don't know. I was, I just went over there and, you know, one thing led to another. All the little different scenarios and little stories that people come up with, like you were just walking down the street, minding your business, and you tripped over and fell between this woman's legs. And next thing you know, you just wake up with her in the morning. It doesn't happen like that. That happens when we're led of the lust that dwells within our members and not walking in the spirit. So he says that what? If you be led of the spirit, you're not under the law. See, this is another scripture that people see. You're led in the spirit, you ain't under the law. So that means we ain't got to keep it no more. Okay, so the law says thou shalt not commit adultery. So we're not under that anymore? See, that's why it told us that we what? The leaders of this people called them to air. If we are led of the spirit, then we're not under that law that we were reading about back in the book of Colossians. Those things that were contrary to us, meaning we're not subject to that death for the breaking of the commandments. Because let's read on. Verse 19. It says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. So it's showing you all these things are manifest, meaning that you see these actions right before your eyes. Let's see what they are. Adulteries, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So it's very clear. This is what walking in the spirit causes us to avoid because those are the things that are going to cause us to not inherit the kingdom of God. And this is what it means to repent. This is the true gospel that's going out according to as it is written with the Lord, the same, the same words that the Lord gave to that woman that was taken in a very act of adultery. It's the same word that's supposed to go out now. And the same word that a lot of our so-called preachers and pastors that are so-called bearing and carrying the banner of Jesus Christ are supposed to teach. They'll teach grace, but they won't deal with judgment and mercy either. They won't deal with judgment either. They won't deal with judgment. There is no such thing as judgment. Not understanding that talk, having to teach all of those things is what the gospel is all about. It's like, some of us go and sin no more. Just have faith. We under grace, but we ain't got to deal with the judgment. The Lord said judgment, mercy, and faith. So let me jump back to Colossians uh, real quick. And I'm going to read this again. Colossians 2 and 13, dealing with the ordinances, the handwriting of, of ordinances that was against us and that was contrary to us. Thou shalt not commit adultery is not contrary to us. 
Thou shalt not have any graven images before me is not contrary to us. Thou shalt not steal contrary to us. A lot of people want them to be contrary to us, but those are, those are not the things, those are not the ordinances that are contrary to us. The judgments of those things are what was contrary to us living. So going back, Colossians 2 and 13. And it reads, it says, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, have you quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, excuse me, contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to its cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. So now, I dealt earlier with the whole thing about the holidays of the Lord. So it's like, okay, you've been talking about all this repentance and stuff. What that got to do with the holiday? Let's read on. Because one of the other things also is that when you read in the, in the Gospels and in the New Testament, you'll read about a, a schism that was happening and going on in the church because of those that were following the Levitical priesthood trying to bring in those ordinances of the Levitical priesthood, meaning the temple, the things pertaining to the temple, the washings and all of those things. Because mind you, the feast days of the Lord, they had sacrifices, but those feast days of the Lord were foreshadowing had every last one of them had something to do with honoring Jesus Christ. And we're going to prove that. So I'm in verse 16. It says that no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink, or in respect of an holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath day, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. So again, you'll have people that will pull these two verses and be like, see, we don't have to keep those days anymore. There's no day of atonement. There is no Feast of Tabernacles. There is no Passover. Oh, but there's Easter. Oh, but there's Good Friday. There's Ash Wednesday. There, there's Mardi Gras, Fat Tuesday. There's Lynch. Where did all those things come from? How did those things, how did that doctrine find its way into the church? Where did it come from? And we've done various shows on the origins of those things and how they were allowed to infiltrate the church. See, those are the traditions of men that people embrace today, calling themselves Christians, not even understanding where they came from. But I'm going to go back and deal with this here. And it says, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink, or in respect of a holy day, or of a new moon. Because these holy days and the new moon, it says what? Or a Sabbath day. started out in Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, where a lot of those holidays, high holy days, actually were declared. Because also you had the Feast of Dedication, which was then came about during the time period of the Maccabees, when Israel was under the rule of the, uh, of the Greeks. So this is prior to what we're reading here, when they're under the uh, rule of the Romans. But it said that what? You had you had more than one Sabbath day. You had the seventh-day Sabbath. When I read it in, uh, in the first few uh, verses of Leviticus, the 23rd chapter. And every last one of those high holy days, the first day and the last day of Passover, the Day of Atonement, the memorial of the blowing of the trumpets, the Feast of Tabernacles, all of those things were Sabbath days. They were a different Sabbath day from the seventh-day Sabbath, okay, but yet still they were all Sabbath days that had their own meat offerings, their own drink offerings, 
and their own sacrifices. So let's get that real quick. I'm going to go to the book of Numbers in the 28th chapter. And let's see what he's talking about being judged in meat and drink and respective and holy day or the new moon or of Sabbath days. Okay. We'll go to the book of Numbers, chapter 28, and I'm going to start at verse 1. Now, y'all hold on because you're going to be going. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff here, and I'm pretty much just going to read through because it's straightforward. But this will kind of give us a gist and understanding of what he's talking about with the meats and the drinks and things like that. Because people will say, oh, you see, don't, don't be judging meat. That means we can eat pork. No, it doesn't. Absolutely not. So here we go. Numbers 28 and 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel and say unto them, My offering and my bread offering, excuse me, and my bread for my sacrifices, favor unto me, shall ye observe to offer unto me in their due season. Hmm, okay. So that means in that due season, meaning that there are going to be various times that these things are going to be offered unto the Lord. And it's going to go into detail. Verse 3, And thou shalt say unto them, This is the offering made by fire, which ye shall offer unto the Lord, two lambs of the first year without spot, day by day, for a continual offering. One lamb shalt thou offer in the morning, and the other lamb shalt thou offer at even. And the tenth part of an ephah of flour for a meat offering, mingled with the fourth part of a hen of beaten oil. It is a continual burnt offering, which was ordained in Mount Sinai for a sweet savor, a sacrifice made by fire unto the Lord. No, verse 7, and the drink offering thereof shall be a fourth part of a hen for one lamb. So it just goes on. And just in the interest of time, I'm going to jump down, okay? Because verse, it just continues to go into the drink offerings and the quantity and how that was supposed to be offered. And verse 7 says, and the drink offering thereof shall be the fourth part of a hen for one lamb. In the holy place shalt thou cause the strong wine to be poured unto the Lord for a drink offering. And the other lamb thou shalt offer even as a meat offering of the morning, and as a drink offering thereof thou shalt offer it, a sacrifice made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. So that's just dealing with a daily sacrifice that was to be offered in the morning and at evening. But let's read on. I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but this is going to give us a sense of where a lot of these things are coming from. Verse 9, this is dealing with the offerings on the Sabbath day. And on the Sabbath day, two lambs of the first year without spot, and two-tenths deals of flour for meat offerings mingled with oil and the drink offering thereof. This is the burnt offering of every Sabbath besides the continual burnt offering and his drink offering. Then when you get to verse 11, it says what? In the beginning of your month, verse 11 goes into what? Dealing with the new moon. In the beginning of your month. Verse 16 goes into the offerings for the Passover. Verse 26 goes into the offerings dealing with the first fruit. All this is in Leviticus 28 chapter. Even in the 29th chapter, the first verse deals with the offerings for the memorial of blowing the trumpets. See, all of these things were the meats and the drinks that it was speaking about in Colossians and being judged in those things with respect to a new moon, with respect to Sabbaths, plural. Okay, even in chapter 29, still dealing in the book of Numbers, chapter 29 and verse 6, where it says that what? Because verse 6 is dealing at the end of the memorial is blowing the trumpet. It says what? Beside the burnt offerings of the month 
and his meat offerings and the daily burnt offerings and his meat offerings and their drink offerings according unto their manner for a sweet savor made by excuse me for a sweet savor a sacrifice made by fire unto the Lord. So it goes on and to, to very very much detail about these things. But I'm gonna jump down to the end of 29, and I'm gonna read verses 39 and 40. And it says that these things shall you do unto the Lord in your set feast, beside your vows and your free will offerings, for your burnt offerings and for your meat offerings and for your drink offerings and for your peace offerings. And Moses told the children of Israel according to all the Lord commanded Moses. So all of those things pertain to the Levitical priesthood and the temple. And at that time, when Paul was still going around and preaching the gospel, the temple was still standing. And you had those in Israel that esteemed the temple higher than our Lord and Savior Christ, not understanding that the very person whom the scriptures were prophesying of and saying what had the preeminence above the temple had already come and gone, and this gospel was going out. So I'm going back to the book of Colossians, and I'm in verse, excuse me, chapter 2, and I'm going to read verse 16 again. This is what it's talking about when it says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of Sabbath days which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. So now I want to deal with that shadow because that's very important. Because a lot of people, again, they will misconstrue that. They will see it's talking about the shadow, so we don't have to keep that stuff anymore. No. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 9. Because when you read in the book of Hebrews, it goes into the whole thing of showing you what, those things we're dealing with. It shows you what those sacrifices we're dealing with. All of these things that we're offering unto the Lord, all of these things that we're offering because of sacrifice, all of these things and drink offerings and a part of a hand and deal of a flower and all of these things, all of these sacrifices and offerings that we gave unto the Lord. But now, through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we have that true sacrifice. We have that true offering. So I'm going to start in Hebrews, and it's, um, it's a lot of stuff to cover here, but I'm going to try to be as various um, brief as I can without skipping over anything because we're dealing with specifically that whole shadow of things to come. This is Hebrews, the ninth chapter. So it says what? Hebrews 9 and 1. Then verily the first covenant and also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the shoe bread, which is called the sanctuary. Second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant. And over it, the cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. So all of these things are going into the tabernacle that Israel had when we were in the wilderness, that ultimately the Ark of the Covenant and a lot of these things found its home in the house that the, that Solomon built for the Lord, okay, and through the different captivities when the temple got destroyed and we rebuilt it under the Babylonian, I think the Babylonian captivity with Zerubbabel, 
Then they went into the other captivities, and the temple got rededicated again during the time of the Maccabees, which is where the Feast of Dedication comes from, or Hanukkah, as it's called. So he says that what? He's describing what? The temple. And you read about that in the Old Testament, how the Lord told them to fashion it and to make the Ark of the Covenant. And he says that what? In five, he says what? That they cannot now speak particularly of because during the time period of, um, I believe it was Jeremiah, the Ark of the Covenant was hidden. It tells you that in the book of Second Maccabees, the second chapter, verses 1 through 9, where it goes into why, where it's hidden and how that the Ark of the Covenant wasn't going to make its appearance again in this world until the Lord was going to receive his people Israel back again into their land. But let's read on, verse 5. So I'm still in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9. And it says, And over it the cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the services of God. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. Now, see, verses 6 and 7 are speaking of specifically what the sacrifices that would be offered unto the Lord. You got the, the, the daily sacrifices. You got the seventh-day Sabbath sacrifice. You got the sacrifices for all of the feast days. But verse 8 is speaking specifically of the Day of Atonement. Okay. And you can go back and read about that. But it says, the Holy Ghost is signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while that the first tabernacle was yet standing. So it's showing you that the way into the true holies, meaning the true heavens, where our Lord and Savior is right now, pleading our case in front of the Heavenly Father, that wasn't made manifest to us under that old covenant. He had to come and give us that understanding of how to keep the Lord's commandments for us to have that link. So that's why I said, what, the Holy Ghost was the spirit that the Lord sent to us keep us company and to give us the understanding of the scriptures, that's what signified or made known to us and showed us, showed us the way of how to actually get to the kingdom of heaven. So that's why I said the Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was yet standing, because all of those things pertain to the first covenant, of which we are no longer under. All those ordinances, all of those sacrifices, those things pertaining to that priesthood were fulfilled in Christ. That didn't mean that the commandments as far as the days and what those days meant and how those things, that meaning transferred into now, oh, this is what the Lord did for us when we were in the wilderness. Well, guess what? This is what the Lord is doing for us now in the wilderness of the people through Christ. This is how we dwelt in the wilderness and, and booths and stuff And the Lord protects us The same way now we're in our homes Wherever we're dwelling And the Lord is watching over us and protecting us Through the spirit of Christ That's how we observe these days We don't go out and chop off chicken's heads And lambs and goats And blood offerings and drink offerings And burning up stuff And it's going to bear that out I'm going to read on So it says in verse 9 again It says which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. See, now we're getting back to that circumcise your hearts again. See, we could go through all the carnal ordinances under the Old Testament, 
but it says that what? Those things pertaining to the sacrifices to receive forgiveness of sin, because that was the only way we could receive forgiveness. The Lord allowed us to receive forgiveness of sins, of certain sins, by sacrificing these animals. Now, in the case of adultery, you were the sacrifice. It wasn't, you couldn't offer anything to the Lord. You had to be sacrificed, meaning we got put to death for those things, for certain things. But it's showing you that what? These are the shadows, okay? These are the things that were semblances of things to come. So it says that what? I'm going to read verse 9 again. It said that these things were a figure, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices, all of those things we read about in Numbers 28th and 29th chapter, okay? It's one of many places. So all of these gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscious. So not even the high priest himself was absolved of, of sin, meaning that even he had to offer a sacrifice for himself and the people. But let's read on. It says in 10, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances excuse me, imposed on them until the time of reformation. So all of these things pertaining to how we receive forgiveness of sins pertain what stood only in the meat offerings and the drink offerings and the diverse washings. When you go back and you read about how the priests had to go through certain uh, ordinances and cleansing themselves before they could perform the service of the Lord. By the way, which is where the baptism of John came from, which is why they weren't looking at him crazy when he was, quote-unquote, baptizing people in the river. He didn't just make up his own doctrine. That didn't just come from out of the blue somewhere. See, people forget the fact that John the Baptist, his father, was a tribe of Levi. He was a priest. But anyway. So he said that what? These things are said which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. When you look up the word reformation, that means to make it again, to reform or to what? To make it better. And you read throughout all of the scriptures about how much better, uh, how much more better, uh, how much better, excuse me, the second covenant is. And it's going to uh, show that when we read on. Because it said that what? Verse 11. But Christ being come in high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not in this building, neither by the blood, of, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. So see, all of those sacrifices that pertain to the first covenant and to that so-called worldly tabernacle, Christ not only fulfilled that with his own blood and his life, but now he's in the true tabernacle and the true holies of holies standing before the Heavenly Father, petitioning for us, giving us time to repent of the works of the flesh so that we can get our lives together. Not to come as we are and justify our sins. Well, you know, the Lord made me this way. So, you know, God, don't make no mistakes. He made me this way. So, I'm I'm a a manifestation of the glory of God in my wickedness. No, we have to repent. That's what the true love of God is, is repenting and keeping his commandments. So I'm going to read on. 13, it says, For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, 
how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So he's asking a question. He's like, listen, if we would took all this trouble to go through all of these carnal ordinances, all these details down to the letters of cleansing ourselves to, to, do, to do the service of the Lord, sacrificing all of these animals. So how much more should the blood of Christ help us to what? Purge our minds from dead works to serve the living God in truth and sincerity. So it's showing you this is what that shadow was talking about. All of those sacrifices were a shadow of what the Lord Jesus Christ was going to come and ultimately do with his own life for our sakes. That's what it's going into. Those are the things that pertain to the old covenant, not the keeping of those days, not the keeping of his uh, of his commandments. Oh, no, no. The Lord said, what? Think not that I'm come to destroy the law of the prophets. But let's read on. Verse 15. It says, and for this cause, meaning that what? The Lord was coming to offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins so that we would be justified to live and have a chance to repent. For this cause, this is why he died. And for this cause, he is a mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. So that's what it's about. It says they which were the what transgressions which were under the First Testament. They ain't talking about it everybody. But let's read on. It says, for where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. Meaning that what? This is going into why our Lord had to give up his life for us. It says, for a testament is a force after men are dead. Which is like what? A will and testament. Your last will and testament. Meaning that what? Your possessions and the things that you write down in that last will and testament, that doesn't take effect until after you're gone. Okay. So we're seeing that in the same light. Verse 18. It says, whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wood and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God has enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. So it's showing you that what? Not only was that nation of people sealed up in that testament, but all of the things that pertain to it. That's why he said what? The tabernacle and the vessels of the ministry going into that Levitical priesthood. That was what pertains to the first testament or the first covenant. Verse 22. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of the things in the heaven should be purified with these. So when he says the patterns of the things that were in heaven, he's talking about that tabernacle and the mercy seat and all of those things pertaining to the temple. Those were the patterns of the things that are in heaven. So he says it was necessary that those things be, what, purified with these, talking about the carnal ordinances. But I'm still reading verse 23. It says, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these showing you that the sacrifice of our Lord is what is going to purge us of the wickedness that's in our minds by following his example. 
that's true repentance. They ain't talking about, oh, well, as long as I don't touch her, I'll be fine. Oh, well, as long as I don't lay a hand on my brother, I can hate him all I want to. Mm-mm. That's not what repentance of the Lord is going into. See, the Lord gave us that understanding so that we would no longer have a cloak for our maliciousness, meaning that we couldn't hide behind, well, I didn't break a commandment. I didn't, technically, I didn't transgress the law. Technically, I didn't lay down with my neighbor's wife, but I sit here every night dreaming about and fantasizing about it. The Lord said, no, you're going to purge your conscience from those dead works. That's what the death of our Lord was about. So I'm going to read on. Let me do a time check here. Okay, we got about 30 more minutes. So he says that what? I'm in Hebrews chapter 9, and I stopped off at verse 20, uh, 24. It says, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are a figure of the truth, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as a high priest enters into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he help excuse me, for then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So it's very clear about the purpose and the role that those carnal things played and how they were what a pattern or a shadow of the better things to come. Talking about what the reformation that we read about. So this is why we can keep these days in the spirit of Christ now. We don't have to offer a sacrifice. And know those days aren't done away with. Now what? We observe those things through the understanding of Christ and what those sacrifices actually meant in honoring the Heavenly Father. So I'm going to go back to the book of Colossians real quick. So we read about what the whole thing about the shadow of things that come because I left off in Colossians, the second chapter in verse 17. And I'm going to read 16 and 17 again, where he says that what? Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or the new moon, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body of Christ. So all of those sacrifices and things that pertain to the new moon and to the, the holy days and to the different Sabbath days, the high holy days that were ordained, it wasn't about the sacrifices anymore. It was about following Jesus Christ. That didn't mean that the days were done away with. That means that we continue to keep those days through the understanding of Christ. So I'm going to read on, verse 18. So he says that what? Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding in those things, into those things which we have not seen vainly puffed up in his fleshly mind. Because you had a lot of people that were trying to bring that whole doctrine of following the Levitical priesthood back into the church and, having, and giving that the preeminence over our Lord and Savior. Verse 19, it says, And not holding the head in which all the body by joints and bands have nourishment, ministered, and knit together increases with the increase of God. Holding the head, meaning what? Christ is the head of the church. It tells you that all over the scriptures. He's the head. 
verse 20, going right back into the whole thing of the conscience and what we're supposed to be dealing with under Christ. It says, wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why as though living in the world are ye subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men. So he's asking them, listen, why are you trying to go back into all of those sacrifices? Why are you trying to go back into the things pertaining to the temple when one greater than the temple is here and already in the true holies of holies before the heavenly father himself? Why are you going back to those ordinances? So let's read on. Verse 23, it says, Which things have indeed a show of wisdom and will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. So he was able to say that because we just read in Hebrews 9 that these things, what the purpose of those things was, and how that they were a pattern of the greater things that the Lord had come into his son. That's why he was able to say these are indeed a show of wisdom, but they were a shadow. So just real quick, I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. <clears throat> And verse 20. Because the thing is, is that now, you know, we're not dealing with the sacrifice of animals. We're not dealing with the law that pertains to the temple and the ordinances and things of that nature. But we're still dealing with as being circumcised in heart. And understand something, you know, because I stated earlier about going into a lot of the, you know, holidays that that uh, so-called Christians observe and they proclaim that and put that up on the pedestal as this being the gospel of Jesus Christ. No, it's not. They're, they're all, all of those things a lot. A white bunny rabbit and Easter eggs have absolutely nothing to do with the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior. A fat man in a white jumpsuit and a white jumpsuit with white uh, red jumpsuit with fur on it, riding around in a, 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 a wooden carriage pulled by some reindeer, and, and the one the, the dude with his red nose that has absolutely nothing to do with the birth of our Lord and Savior, nothing. But this is what it does have to do with Corinthians chapter ten and verse twenty. But I say unto you that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils. So there's absolutely no way we can associate those pagan customs with our Lord and Savior. It's telling you that right here. He says, listen, they're dealing with devils. They're not dealing with the Lord. So either we're dealing with the Lord or we're not dealing with it. Either we're dealing with devils and paganism or we're not. It's one or the other. No matter how much we try to so-called, uh, people try to so-called Christianize them and, oh, well, you know, it's the, it's the spirit. No, it's the spirit of the devil, plain and simple. And those are the things that we have to learn to repent of, thus saith the Lord. So I want to go to the book of Ephesians chapter 2 and read verses 1 through 3. Because this is what the doctrine of Christ is. Now. This is what it's dealing with. Let's see here. Uh, 
Let's let's talk about this real quick before I read the scripture. Yes, I was going to go to the book of Ephesians and chapter 2. And Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, just going into the whole thing about dealing with repentance. It says, and you have he quickened, there was that same word again that we read back in Colossians, meaning to be made alive. It says, and you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So it's going to show you that we can't stay in that mindset. We can't stay in those things that are contrary to the Scriptures and claim the name of Jesus Christ. We cannot. That's why he said in times past, we walk according to the course of this world because the course of this world is all about fornication. The course of this world is all about adultery. The course of this world is all about baby mamas and baby daddies. The course of this world is all about, what's that confused child, uh, young lady, um, Raven Simone? Here it is lately. I'm, I don't, I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm, people are confused and just putting anything out of their behind. I'm not labeled as this. Listen, According to the scriptures, if we're committing certain acts, we are in sin. Thus saith the Lord. It don't matter what we think. It doesn't matter what we make up or how we feel about it. This is what the Lord said. And more importantly, more importantly, the most important thing is that he's giving us a space of repentance. Because this is not the hellfire and brimstone condemnation uh, uh, show. Okay. Now, is there going to be a judgment for those of us that don't repent? Oh, yes, indeed. Believe it. But the Lord said what? Preach my gospel. Preach repentance. And that's the word that we're preaching. That's why I said what? In times past, we walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. When you look at what's on the airwaves, you turn on your television, you turn on your radio, you go online. The prince of the power of the air, Satan, has this thing on lock, man. Why do you think they're pumping all of this stuff to our children? Why do you think every song is about some type of whether you weed it up, blunt it up, fade it, whatever? My side chick, my side piece. Things that deal with the breaking of the commandments of the Lord, that the prince of the power of the air has pumping into our households. You can't even escape it. It's what? Is it because it's not? That's that spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Yeah, disobedient to what? Being disobedient to the commandments of the heavenly Father. But this is the point in verse three. It says, "Among whom also we all had our conversation in time past." It says that we all had a foot to some degree, because none of us are righteous in the sight of the Lord. But that's the point. It says in time past meaning that we are truly coming to the understanding of repentance and the understanding of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, then those things that are contrary to the commandments, we don't indulge in those things anymore. 
And not only do we not commit those acts, we learn over time to not entertain those thoughts. That's why he was able to say that we had these things, our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. See, going back into having that pure conscience, meaning that we have to do these things willingly. It ain't about, well, I'm going to do this, or I don't do this, the Lord is going to put me to death. That was the mindset of the old covenant. That's not the mindset that we're supposed to have dealing with the doctrine of Jesus Christ and repentance. So I'm going to close up this here real quickly in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. And this is what the love of Jesus Christ and the doctrine or the gospel, if you will, Everybody want to talk about the gospel and don't know to understand not one word of what it's dealing with. This is what it's dealing with right here. Second Timothy chapter two verse nineteen, just one of many places. It says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So this is just another thing going into another scripture going into how we must repent. From those things we read it earlier, and uh, let me make sure I'm giving y'all the right things, right reference here. We read them earlier, some of those things in the book of Galatians, the fifth chapter, going into the works of the flesh, which are manifest. It said that what these are the iniquities that we have to depart from if we're going to name the name of Jesus Christ and have that seal. Meaning that that seal means that what this is showing who we belong to. This is showing who we're property of. If we're truly property and we have given our lives over to Jesus Christ, then we're going to depart from iniquity. We're not going to make excuses for remaining in. So with that, I want to give all praise and thanks to the Heavenly Father and the Son, Jesus Christ, for allowing us, allowing me to teach a class this evening. I hope that you all receive edification from it. And until next time, I'd like to say shalom. The Body of Christ Church Radio Network broadcasts seven days a week on blogtalkradio.com forward slash the BOCC. Listen to our archive broadcasts or check us out while we are live on the air. Come and visit us in the virtual living room at 2 o'clock p.m. on Sundays where we examine current topics according to the scriptures. Are you looking for the truth? Can you handle the truth? Find out on Mondays at 8 o'clock p.m. It doesn't matter what church you attend or philosophy you believe, take the challenge to see Are You Smarter Than Your Pastor on Tuesdays at 8 o'clock p.m. The world is engrossed in darkness, but it shall be destroyed by the light. Check out From Darkness to Light at 7 o'clock p.m. on Wednesdays where all manner of witchcraft, occult practices, and Satanism is exposed for what it is. Before the light comes, it's time to awake on Thursdays at 8 o'clock p.m. If you are seeking salvation, listen to Repentance is the Key, Fridays at 7 o'clock p.m. And after you've listened to all of these shows, find out how we will become kings and priests Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock a.m. All shows are on Eastern Standard Time. Remember to check out The Body of Christ Church seven days a week on blogtalkradio.com forward slash the B-O-C-C. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash T-H-E-B-O-C-C. Shalom.
enjoyed today's program, join us next week for another installment of Repentance is the Key, airing every Friday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can also visit us on our website, www.thebocc.com, and our YouTube page, www.youtube.com forward slash thebocc1. Once again, that address is www.thebocc.com and www.youtube.com forward slash thebocc1. Acts chapter 17 verse 30. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. parts and accessories, trust the parts professionals at the 96 Atlanta area O'Reilly Auto Parts stores. Our professional parts people know what it takes to get the job done right. Professionals have counted on O'Reilly Auto Parts for decades. Now you can too. Professional parts people, O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.